Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Into the realm of no decisions. Beyond worry or woe, stand lilacs in the dusk. Beyond the claws of time and the dark magic of the past, the scent of blossom swells under the sycamore shade. Remove yourself from your own mind and enter the moon underwater. and grain and slice of lemon and wine. The moon underwater is here in full ferment. And rightly so, I am John Robbins, the landlord of this sacred house. It really is very sacred in its waterings and its furnishings. And into this pub of the mind, we invite guests every week to kit out their dream pub, which then exists in a counter-realm within this, the correct realm, that they can then take back into the other realm. And we cannot wait to welcome this week's guest. But before then, there's much to discuss with the lovely, regular Robin Allender. Hello, Robin. Hello, John. That's very nicely um, d- explained the format of the show using the word realm several times in yes. one sentence. <laughs> why, why don't you pick yourself a tankard from the uh, display hanging above the bar? Which do you fancy? I w- I'd like a pewter one. Yep. Okay, we've got about eight or nine different pewter ones. There's one in the sa- shape of a monkey. Yeah. Uh, there's one with sort of he- heraldic detailings. Ah. Uh, there's one depicting a sort of Victorian garden scene. Mm. Uh, and the rest are all Chelsea ones. Chelsea ones? Yeah, the football club, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, well, it's got to be um, a Victorian garden, please. It absolutely has. In an English country garden, you shall find the lovely Robin Allender supping his pint from a pewter card. <laughs> Uh, Robin, Robin, it's wine night here at the Moon Underwater this evening. Oh, no, really? Yes, I'm drinking a Riesling Pfalz. Ah, oh, stunning. I love a Pfalz. I love how hard it is to say and how strange it looks written down. P-F-A-L-Z, Pfalz. Yeah. 
I mean, learning German at school was, you know, there's something innately funny about the language, isn't there? Yes, it's quite impactful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved it. It was in in German lessons. We had a game called Steht auf dem Tisch, stand on the table. I might be getting my accusative and datives messed up there, but stand on the table. The teacher turned away to the blackboard, and when her back was turned, you had to stand on the table completely straight, and then get back down in your chair before. The teacher turned around. Was anyone ever found Gestalt and de Spiffs? What is it called? State <laughs> outing Tisch. Was anyone discovered state outing their Tisch? No, no one ever got found stating. And <laughs> did, I like it when kids sort of uh, appropriate foreign languages they're learning to sort of their own sort of um, youth speak. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you have a friend who once told you to stop furding around? Yeah, furd was horse. Stop furding around. <laughs> and um, I remember when we were at school that Bob Marley single was a big hit, the Iron Like a Lion in Zion. And we would sing Boogelm Like a Lion in Zion because that was the, the verb to iron. <laughs> <laughs> Boo- like a Boogeln. lion inside. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, giddy witterings you oh, yes. find us hanging upon. Um, I'm drinking the Pafaltz. What are you drinking, Rob? Well, it's just a San Miguel. It's a classic San Miguel. How do you... Here's one thing I don't understand about lager drinkers. When you go into a shop to get your lagers, how do you choose which one? Because they're all the blooming same. I just like... I've said it before, I'll say it again, I like 440 mil cans. But did they not have any 440 Stellas? No. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so Stella yeah. will always win. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, go, kind of goes without saying. Yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, our week in pubs, Robin. Yes. Featured a nook. Yes. It featured a nook and a tremendously expensive round. Ooh, yeah. And I don't, I'm going to name the pub because we're not criticising them for the tremendously expensive round too much because we, we did have a great experience and it's a wonderful pub. Oh yeah. And the staff were brilliant as well. Yeah. Really lovely staff who made it clear that, you know, the prices weren't, weren't down to them. Yeah. Um, but we went to the Barley Mo in Fitzrovia in London. Mm. And as I've said before, I'll say it again. I'm going to say it now when it's hot outside, the innards of a pub, are a delight to those who seek solace in cider and pints. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. It's a, it, it trips off the tongue. Um, beautiful pub that has these wonderful little nooks to the side of the bar, so you have a little kind of chamber to yourself. Which And, and the nook is actually at the bar, so you can kind of, which is key for a nook. So if you imagine, like, it's quite a confusing layout when you first go in the nook because there's two sort of little benches opposite each other, but then also a, a, a stool at the bar between them. Yeah. So you could either sit at the bar or you could sort of sit on two benches staring at each other. And there's two of these nooks. There was also a pristine dartboard. Yeah. Um, with a, something I've not seen before, which is like an extra guard. Mm. Like a second circle, um, which uh, I really liked. And it is it is known and it prides itself on its ales. I think it would be fair to say they were running very low in their supply of ales. There were only two on when we went in. So I didn't have them, but I had uh, a Guinness, uh, 
which is very well kept. And you had a pint of what was it, Rob? It's Mahau, a Spanish lager. Spanish lager. Mm. Um, and we were chatting to the bar, uh, the bar staff, lovely chaps. Um, then we ordered a round, which consisted of a pint of Mahau, mm. a small packet of cocktail gherkins. <laughs> yeah. Like a sort of bar, bar snacks. There's probably, you know, 13 gherkins in there. Yeah. And I had a bottle of Cooper's Green, which is just the most delightful. Is it? It's not really a lager, is it? Would you call it a lager? It's a pale ale, really. It's a pale it? ale from Australia. And so the pint of lager, the bottle of ale, three thirty mil, and the small packet of cocktail gherkins came to fourteen pounds ten. Yeah. Which I questioned uh, three times. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then once the bar staff had sort of cleared up that it was that was the price i then asked them to break down what the money was on he's a good laugh in the pub, i'm John. a big laugh <laughs> 650 for the pint of lager yeah that was 150 that was hot for the for the packet of cocktail gherkins and this is what this is what pushed me over the yeah. fence six pounds ten for a bottle of cooper's green yeah that's a lot and i think it's a mixture of things i think it's obviously the position of the pub it's in fitzrovia so it's sort of prime time you know, you're not expecting to get cheap drinks anywhere near there. But maybe I've heard, I heard that Camden Hells are running dry because of the wheat crisis. Really? Because of uh, the the invasion of Ukraine, because of, uh, well, you know, various factors, but that's the main thing. I, I, I heard that you can't actually get Camden Hells at the minute. Really? So I'm sure it's affecting the price of uh, drinks. But I do just wonder... And I'm not I'm not pointing the finger at the Barley Mo. It's a wonderful pub with wonderful stuff that we love. But I wonder if a few establishments are going, I reckon we could charge ridiculous money for stuff and everyone will just say it's the cost of living crisis. There's got to be some of that going on. I think that is happening in supermarkets, yeah, for sure. Bump everything up by 10% and, and sort of blame the cost of living crisis. So you sort of end up perpetuating... The problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's capitalism for you. But can I just say the funniest thing that happened in the Barley Mo was this. Um, John and I were in a little nook. And do you ever have moments in life where it's sort of, they, they seem so rich in kind of symbolism that they're almost too on the nose? Yeah. There was a bit, there was quite a large group of people of, um, I think there was, it was a someone's birthday party or it was, might have been a Hindu or something. They were, they were, they were really nice. They're quite loud. And we were in our little nook, and they started discussing quite loudly how brilliant Hannah Gadsby's Nanette was, which yeah. is which is a brilliant show. But it's um, it's uh, obviously the show that John drew the Perry Award with. It, what was funny is that they had a sort of real giggly, whether it was a Hindu or not, they had a he- they had Hindu energy. There were also bottles of prosecco were coming thick and fast. Yeah. And the last thing I was expecting for them to be screeching over the the panelled walls of our nook was the merits in quite quite some detail. Yes, yeah, with quite a lot of critical acumen. And it's a brilliant show, Nanette. But it's it was just because so, I imagine that's what it's like, sort of being in your head during the nook. <laughs> A nook of a pub hearing whisperings about how great Hannah Gadsby's Nanette is. It was oh, very funny. What I really liked is that there was sort of one point where their their festivities were in danger of sort of overwhelming the pub experience. Yes, but... But 
after this woman had said something quite loud, her friend just went something like, Yvonne, volume, volume. Yeah. It was so nice. I love it. I love a self-policing gang. <laughs> anyway, speaking of self-policing gangs, Robin, <laughs> uh, the gangs of people who listen to these murmurations we send back to the uh, other realm have been communicating through the mist of their own minds. And I heard you sighing asunder. You almost sighed yourself flat on your back for the mist this week. So pray tell, pray translate the mist from droplet to speech and back to droplet again. And for any new listeners, John is asking if we've had any emails this week. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we have had some lovely mists come in. This one's from Dave. Pubs you can sail to. Hi, John and Robin. I'd like to make you aware of the ship on Peel Island, which is P-I-E-L Island. It's off the coast of Barrow in Furness in the northwest of England. And you can catch a ferry to the island, or if the tide is right, you can walk across the sands to reach this isolated pub. The landlord of the pub is automatically crowned as the king of the island. And a new king has only recently been crowned. Um... Thank you for all the content over the past 60-odd episodes. You are the ideal start to the week. So, yeah, the the, the landlord of Peel's ship inn is now Aaron Sanderson, and he is now the king of Peel Island. What's what, what a great... I'd love to... What a great story. I'm trying to look it up in my mind. P-I-E-L. Yeah, I'm looking it up in my mind. There's... Can we introduce a law? Yeah. That if you're taking a photo of a pub... You can't just take a close-up of some fish and chips. It yeah. has to be the bar. Yeah, I don't care a... what food they serve. I don't care. Yeah. There's endless pictures of burgers close up. No one cares. But, I mean, you're fighting a losing battle here. It's like if you go on Google Earth and look at a body of water, say, you know, the Pacific Ocean, you'll see, people review it. You know, I think it's just, humanity's too far gone. Why would you want to look at photos of a pub and see a half eat? I'm looking at half-eaten cooked breakfast. <laughs> I want to see the bar. I want to see the pub interior. I want to see the nooks. I want to see how it feels. Yeah, I want to see how it feels. Well, can a photograph ever do that? I don't know. It looks quite it looks like it's got a few interesting fixtures and fittings, but there's not a single photo of just the bar. King of the island, though. Uh, next mist, please, Robin. Now, this, this is uh, back to our, one of our favourite uh, topics of conversation, sparklers. Oh, dear. This is a great mist mail here from Matthew. Hello, Landlord John and regular Robin. I felt moved to contact you about the subject of sparklers. I managed a live music pub in North Yorkshire, and sparklers were fitted as standard. As a popular good beer guide rated pub, we would often serve tourists or southern folk who would regularly frequent the venue. Some would often request their beer sand sparkler, and I would wince but serve them regardless. I never quite understood the appeal of sparklers, but a friend of mine took it even further when he moved to London. I get this. He would take a sparkler out with him when visiting pubs. He would ask the bar staff to fix the sparkler whenever serving a pint. Whenever serving a pint before rinsing it and pocketing it for the next pub, an ingenious solution to a very real problem for a northerner in London. He would carry the sparkler around on his set of keys, so he was never far away from a pop- from a proper pint. Could this be a solution for others and perhaps your good selves, or would it be a step too far? Many thanks, Matthew. So thoughts on that? Well, I have that. The thought has crossed my mind. A couple of issues. Obviously, 
during COVID, that wouldn't have been possible. Secondly, I would love to know from that person what percentage of bar staff... Just told them to fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) ...were either willing, because I wouldn't want anyone to think I was just, like, the worst. And also, it's a bit like... It's a bit like sort of bringing your own, like, seasonings to a restaurant. Yeah. It's basically going, the way you've decided to serve this isn't... is My judgment is better than yours. Even though I agree that ale tastes better and looks better and behaves better when poured through a sparkler. Well, I think it's a great idea, but I do think you're going to run into some bar people who will not be happy about that, you know. I think I would probably rather do it, say, my local. Mm. I would rather take one there and sort of befriend the landlord or landlady, have a relationship with them. Have a relationship with them? Yeah, marry them. Um <laughs> And then bring the sparkler into play, as opposed to taking it to every random pub I went to. I I wonder how many of your sort of average, you know, like students working in a pub or like people working in a pub after school or after uni or whatever would actually know what it was. Yeah, I think that's 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 more likely as well, isn't it? That lots of people, particularly down south, don't know what sparklers are. Yeah. But great, great email. Great, great mist. I love that. Do keep your mist coming. Breathe it out of your mouths, cup it in your hands, and then send it to john at moonunderpod.com. And we look forward uh, to reading over your thoughts on all things pub and all things pint and all things any other drink you have in a pub. But right now, I've got to maybe, I've got to hide some of these empty bottles of Pafal's um, because the the Pafals is growing and growing on the bar here at the Moon and Water, and we can't have our guests thinking we've been on the pre-lash, can we, Robin? No, ferding around like that. Ferding around and gestaltening our tish. <laughs> uh, so we will see you back here very soon. Robin, Robin, have you noticed the tides? Oh, the tides within the building? Yes, the tides within the building are all out at the same time, which on the one hand is very good because it means we're on dry land, uh, but it does suggest that uh, someone is approaching the moon underwater. It's, have you been reading Piranesi? No, what's Piranesi? It's a book about a big building where there are tides in the building and they all kind of come together in different times and flood the building. It's a very good book. Susanna Clarke. Maybe Piranesi has been reading me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like he bloody well has. That's what they say about a good book. A good book actually reads you, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yeah, I suppose it does, yeah. Does And how does it do that? I don't know. I just sort of imagine that when my nephews are sort of old enough to be doing English A-level, they might kind of ring me up and ask for help, and that's like all I'll say to them. Yeah. Yeah, the book reads you, man. Yeah, so you just tell them that, <laughs> they write it, that's all they write in their essay, and then they get an A. That's all you need to know. A good book reads you. What does a bad book read? It, well, it reads someone else. It reads someone else. Very good point. Well, anyway, <laughs> all this chat of books, uh, we need to make sure that the doorway is clear for our guest, and I'm going to take out, uh, here at the Moon Underwater, we have, you know, the sort of wine bottles with wax. Yeah. 
from, from candles that have been put in the top. Well, it's the other way around here. We've got candles with sort of melted wine bottles uh, <laughs> all around the uh, all around the rim. So we need to move those out of the way. Yeah, we do. Get them uncorked and tuck in to a lovely chat. And and here she is, a dweller on the threshold, if ever I saw one. Natalia Watson. Natalia, come in. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. You are very welcome here at the Moon Underwater, Natalia. Because what you bring with you is not just your fantastic company, but your incredible expertise. I know a thing or two about beer. Yes, I'm very excited to (laughs) chat with you all about it. You certainly do. So pull up a seat of your own design. Uh, I don't know if you had time to design a seat before you got here, but uh, most of our guests tend not to. Uh, So you can have one of ours if you haven't got a seat of your own design. I'll borrow one of yours for now. I've got a few different seats in mind seasonally, so we'll see as we go through... The pub of the mind. What are your what are your favourite seats to sit on in a pub? Well, I really love a pub that's got a lot of wood, and I know they're not the most comfortable seats, but sometimes in the summer, they're just really good seats to be on, because in the winter you want that big comfy leather sofa that you, you know, sink into and you can sit by the fire. Sitting on one of those in the summer, no thank you. You just get stuck to it, right? So you got to be mindful about what the options are, what's comfy for you different times of year. Yeah, so we're getting a bit toastier, so I'm thinking a nice sort of wooden chair, maybe with a little cushion underneath, but no leather. Save that for the winter. I don't mind a, a like a reclaimed church pew. Yeah, I'm a few of my favourite pubs have a lot of those, yeah. I quite like sort of being forced to sit up quite straight, and also with a reminder of the practice of worship uh, in a pub. Worshipping the beer, I hope. We'll be doing some of that today, for sure. (laughs) Natalia, when I look at your CV, it's like everything you do sounds like a dream I've woken up from. It's like, I just I think I want your life. Um, So could you talk us through some of the things you do and some of the expertise you have? Sure. So I like to say I teach people about beer for a living. Mm. Lucky me. I know it's it's incredible. I say the words and I still think, is this real? Is this a dream? Yeah. So do you say the beer drinks you? Is that how you teach? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe at this point, yes. Spending a lot of time with it, the beer is drinking me. Uh, Yeah, so I've drank a lot of beer in my training and my studies. I'm qualified as a beer sommelier. I'm qualified as as an advanced Cicerone. So there are sort of two different qualification bodies that uh, help people learn more about beer and more importantly, communicate what they know about beer to hopefully get other people just as passionate as we are about it. So that's led me to found my own virtual beer school, uh, which is how I do the teaching. I also do sort of different tastings and trainings for other people outside of my virtual beer school. I've got a book all about the history of beer and a podcast where I speak to women who work and beer about what they do and why they love it. So yeah, I like to say I'm all beer all the time. So your your podcast is Beer with Nat. Yep. Your book is Beer Taste the Evolution in 50 Styles. Before we talk a bit about those, I always assumed, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will, that a sommelier is wine-specific qualification. Has it always been a qualification in beer, or is that a recent thing, or does it predate wine? No, it's definitely much more recent. So it started with wine, certainly, uh, and then was kind of applied to beer because we do a lot of the same things as what a wine sommelier would do. So interestingly, sommelier, in the beer world, we didn't we don't really consider it sort of a title. It's a qualification that you can get that would be used by people in various different job titles. But what we do is we take various courses, do some self-study, uh, sit an exam, quite an intense exam, doing 15 different blind tastings where the beers are just put in front of us and we need to figure out what it is, how strong it might be, what the flavors are, if there's any faults. And all of the purpose of that really going through that training and that test is so that we can develop this knowledge and passion of beer and really be brilliant advocates for the category. So we want to teach people things like what is beer made from? 
You know, most people know that wine comes from grapes and cider comes from apples, but what actually does beer come from? Once you know that, then you begin to understand, oh, what flavors might we find in beer? Then we can talk to you about how to taste it. It's one of my favorite things to teach people. People really don't spend time smelling and tasting things, and we eat and drink every day, multiple times a day. So really teaching people how to be considered and considerate about what they're tasting and what flavors they're finding is so fun. Then we go into all the styles. There's over a hundred of them. So we talk about their history and the stories behind each. We talk about storage and service of beer. You know, beer goes bad if you don't take good care of it. So it's about keeping it in the fridge, keeping it dark. And then beer and food pairing, another really fun way to bring people into beer who maybe think beer's not for them, but you put it with the right cheese or the right chocolate, wins them over. Wow. Because part of when, when I think of smelly, I think of someone trying to kind of, it's very closely linked to kind of regions, isn't it? Like you, you smell a wine and taste a wine, you think, oh, this comes from here. Can you can you kind of, can you do the same thing with beer or does it not work in the same way? Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about kind of learning these building blocks so that when you think, once you know beer's ingredients, so we've got our malted barley, we've got our hops, our yeast and our water, they create these sort of telltale patterns where if you get this combination of hop flavors like toast and this combination of bitterness and maybe an English hop character that's a bit herbal or earthy, and then maybe a nice sort of soft fruity note coming from the yeast, that might allow you to put those puzzle pieces together and start thinking, hmm, okay, maybe this might be something like a pale ale or a best bitter. So we use this sort of deductive reasoning where you're taught what to expect. You need to learn how to identify those different uh, aromas and flavors. And then when you find that pattern, then you start to think, hmm, what is this telling me? What style is this? So yeah, we can use that same approach. So if I gave you a glass of a single hopped beer, with what sort of confidence would you be able to say what hop it was and how strong it was? Hops are quite tricky. So if you were to ask me to name a style, perhaps, I could probably do that. I'm pretty good at my style identification. But getting down to hops, we have hundreds of different varietals in use today, and new ones are being developed all the time, which is pretty exciting. But it is very difficult with hops in particular to be able to get that specific about their contributions. It's often words like, um, you know, citrusy. And really, when we kind of push people in beer education, it's like, can you take it past citrus? Can you say what kind of citrus it is? Is it a lemon? Is it a grapefruit? Is it an orange? Uh, and is it the peel or is it the pith or is it the inside? So when people just say the citra hop, for example, a very popular hop, has a lot of citrus and tropical fruit notes, well, that doesn't mean all that much. We need to try and dial it down a little bit more so that we could then get to that point of being better able to identify single hop beers. Definitely something I'm working on. I actually recently got a nosing kit from the wine world, which has all these different aromas uh, that you can identify in wines. And a lot of them are found in hops too, because we've got floral notes and fruity notes. So I'm kind of trying to build up what I can detect uh, and also learn more about wine at the same time. And your book is Taste the Evolution. I know it might not specifically be about the evolution of beer, but I've always wondered, what was the first beer? Or do you know what sort of the early beers would have been like? So there are lots of theories around sort of how beer may have come about. So of course, we've got our malted barley. That's really important because that's our sugar source. And the interesting thing about malted barley is that I'm not just saying the word barley. So we're not just using barley that's harvested from the field. Because when we harvest barley, we can't use it right away. It doesn't have sugar inside, it has starch inside. And for yeast to turn that into alcohol, it can't process the starch, it can only process the sugar. So those grains have to go through this process called malting that allows the starch to then convert to sugar during the brewing process so that yeast can turn it into alcohol later on when it ferments. So we couldn't just take barley from the field. It's thought that perhaps there was some barley that then got rained on 
then it would start to sprout once it was exposed to some heat. That then started to develop this process of making those starches accessible. Uh, and then someone decided to soak those grains in warm water. That helps to activate the enzymes that help to release the sugars later on in the brewing process. Yeast would naturally settle in because it exists in the air all around us, or perhaps they might throw in raisins or grapes because there's a lot of yeast on the skin of fruit that would help to kickstart fermentation. Hops were pretty late in the brewing process. They didn't really become adopted. They were first used in sort of the ninth century, really became adopted much later on, uh, and brewing's thought to date back maybe 5,000 years. Uh, so the, the thinking really is that we would have used other bittering herbs as a way to add some flavor and balance out the sweetness from the malt, but that's how it would have all began. So this sort of spontaneous fermentation process that would give us some alcohol, but certainly some funky flavors in there too. Some bacteria would get involved. It would be a bit sour. There are some beers kind of made in that same way. We've got beers in the mixed fermentation family that have this sourness and this acidity to them uh, that use still spontaneous fermentation. Uh, so we've got some beers that harken back all the way to those original uh, early beers, but the brewing process has changed pretty significantly since then. It feels like more of an act of God than just uh, letting apples rot for a bit and then becoming cider. You know, it's, it feels like a lot of things had to happen In for it to be discovered. In just the right way for know? us to have this yeah. beautiful beverage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. So do, can you remember any of the names or brands of those beers that are, have that sort of very early... Uh, brewing style. Yeah, so if you want to explore this idea of spontaneous fermentation and kind of maybe what these early beers might have tasted like, you're going to want to look for beers in the family called Lambic. So that's the style name. If uh, that's a bit too too tart for you, you can have ones that are fruited. So you can get a fruited Lambic. Uh, and these are all made in Belgium. So they come from a particular region of Belgium, uh, right in the Seine Valley, which surrounds Brussels. It's said to have wonderful microflora that uh, gives nice uh, sourness and funky qualities to the beer. So it's something that brewers will only make in the wintertime to this day because they need to attract the right microorganisms and prevent the beer from spoiling. Uh, sometimes they add fruit, as I've mentioned, and these beers will take a very, very long time to age for all of those different sour and funky qualities to develop. So some of the famous producers, you've got Cantillon, which is based right in Brussels, you've got Boone, uh, you've got Dreyfontaine, so loads of different ones you could look up. Uh, and interestingly, this is a good way to win over wine fans, because most people uh, like wine, you know, you've got the acidity, you've got the fruity qualities, uh, and then you've got that bit of tannic bitterness. These beers, I mentioned, they take a while to make. The inoculation, so the settling in of the microorganisms happens overnight, but they are aged for at least six months and some up to three years. And there's a blend of young and old beer to give the different characteristics. They're aged in wood, that introduces tannins, so you've got the fruit, the acidity, the tannins, so it brings over wine lovers into the world of beer because it just doesn't taste like what people expect beer to taste like. So a really, really fun world of beer to explore. Hello fans of Pub and Pint, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's move on to your first two choices in your dream pub. They're two draft items. doesn't have to be beer, but I'm guessing beer might make an appearance. What are you going to choose? <laughs> so the first one is Harvey Sussex Best. Oh, yes. it's an old favourite. It's a popular choice. It's so delicious. It's understandably a popular choice. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's, it's always a popular choice. I, I make this assumption that people who are experts in a field will like really obscure stuff that I've never heard of. But a lot of people who know a lot about beer choose Harvey Sussex Best. So what is it for you that makes it so appealing? I think it's just such a wonderful example of a best bitter. It's so easy drinking. I will go to the Harp in Covent Garden to seek it out. Yes. It's one of the few oh, places I know what I can find pub. it. Yeah, such a great pub. Blythe Hill Tavern had it on the other night um, down near me in Forest Hill. And the Plume of Feathers in Greenwich has it quite a lot. Yeah. See, once you find somewhere, then you know you got to yeah. put it in your map and make sure you go back there. Yeah, so it's just got everything I want from that beer. So when I think about a best bitter, of course, bitter is in the name. We know it's going to be quite a bitter beer, but it's interesting in that it is made with a special type of malt called crystal or caramel malt that adds a bit of sweetness. So it prevents the beer from becoming overly bitter, but you've got this noticeable hop presence, classic English hops that often give that sort of earthy or herbal characteristic. And then we've also got that crystal or caramel malt giving a caramelly sweetness over this base of pale ale malts that give a nice bready and toasty flavor. So just all of that married up together, relatively low in alcohol. It's just something that you can drink, you know, pint after pint, half pint after half pint, whatever your preference is, and just sit at the pub and soak up, you know, the conversations around you. And is there any equivalent to something like that in America? In terms of cask beer or sort of that sessionable ale and that experience? Well, just sort of, I guess, more like an English or British real ale. Is that a scene that is has sort of um, translated across there or, or are they still very much in the sort of more fizzy kegs? keg scene. There are a few people and a few pubs across the US who have tried to bring in cask beer, pubs and bars, I would say there. But I would say it's very much still a British thing. And it's something that most beer people, when they do come from the States, they will seek out the pub. You know, there are lots of great craft breweries here too. But I think because there are so many craft breweries in the States as well, often when beer people come over here, they're like, I got to try cask beer in its authentic form at a pub in the UK. Why do you think it is that something that we would think is one of the best things in the universe, why hasn't it sort of gone around the whole world? Because people don't want warm beer. 
that's the cliche. But it's not it? warm, is it? It's cool. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It is not warm. 11 to 13 Celsius or 50 to 55 Fahrenheit is not warm. Where I grew up in California, everyone would be in their sweaters and Uggs if that was the case. So uh, <laughs> definitely not warm. Uh, but yeah, it's just that different drinking experience of having lower carbonation, slightly warmer serving temperature. And I think it is, it's that additional effort that's required by the publicans to make it ready to serve. That unfortunately, I think people just prefer kegged beer because when it arrives, you put it on, it's ready to go. You don't need to wait. You don't need to test it to make sure you've got it to the correct flavors, that they've matured to the right level. So I think it's just that requirement for for ease, really. Um, but the places that do do it here and that do it well, you know, we really ought to be celebrating them. Mm. Ollie Smith said a great thing because he chose Harvey's Best as well. He said a great thing about how seasonal it is. It kind of the taste of it changes in the seasons, he said. And, you know, I think that's a lovely lovely idea. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine as well, it's partly us too. You know, do you, of course, the pub cellar is going to warm up a bit in the summertime. So that may change how quickly those flavors mature or what flavors come about. But then also, are we necessarily wanting those flavors all year round? So I kind of like that it's a seasonal thing that we can come and go to. Uh, so what would be your second choice? So my second choice is Pilsner Urquell, but a particular version of Pilsner Urquell. So I've got a few reasons why I've chosen this. In particular, the unfiltered, unpasteurized beer that you can get from the cellars below the brewery that has been lagering in a wooden cask. Wow. So when you go to Pilsen, you can have that experience. Amazing. So it's not available anywhere else? Nope. Just there and in your dream pub? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I've been to visit. So Pilsner Arkell in particular is a beer I love to tell the story of because it changed what we think of as beer. So it was first brewed in 1842 and it's the world's first golden colored lager. So the beer emoji looks the way it does because of this beer and the impact that it's had. So prior to this, you know, if you ordered a beer in the 1700s, it'd be a pint of porter. It'd be dark in color. In the 1800s, it was pale ale. So we would have had nice amber or sort of, um, you know, chestnut brown colored beer. In 1842, after this beer was first brewed, the world's first golden colored lager, as I've mentioned, it has forever changed what we think of as beer. It is the inspiration for 95% of the beer that we consume around the world. And it wasn't necessarily this one beer in particular, it was many other factors that were happening at the same time, uh, thinking about all these different advancements of the Industrial Revolution. Glassware, so we could see what we were drinking. Railroads, so the beer could travel a lot further. Refrigeration, so it stay fresh longer. So many different things played a part. But going to Pilsen and getting to walk through those cellars underneath the brewery and kind of have this experience of like, this is where the beer was made that changed beer. It's incredible. So drinking that version of it, it really brings me back there. And of course, being a bit of a beer history geek, being able to kind of have this liquid version of the history of beer is really fun. And so when would carbonation have come in then as well with that kind of... So of course, we would have had carbonation developing from the fermentation process. Oh, but I part see. of the issue right. was the glass bottles weren't strong enough to hold that pressure. So we would have used a lot of wooden casks in the past. Conveniently, in the late 1800s, that is when we were able to get mechanized production of glass bottles that were able to hold in that pressure. So yeah, that was wow. a big part of how it could distribute further too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting all the pieces together. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And what does the unfiltered, unpasteurized, casked Pilsner Urquell, what does it taste? What does it taste like? And how does it taste different to, because I really like, I, I'm not a big lager drinker, but I do like, in fact, I had a pint of Pilsner Urquell this weekend. Lovely. Mm. Well, one of my favourite memories, I mean, I think I've said it before in The Moon Underwater is being in Prague and there's a bar called the Golden Tiger there, which is a very famous historic, but like Bill Clinton went there and stuff like this, but all they serve is Pilsner Urquell and you're just given a piece of cardboard 
which the waiter marks off how many you've had. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant, yeah. That's how you drink in uh, Cologne. So when you get your small glasses of Kolsch, they come only in 20 centiliters, 200 mils at a time, and they just mark on the beer mat how many you've had. And then when you're done, you put the beer mat on top. They, you know, yeah. tally up your total. Yeah, such a different drinking experience. It's, it's it great is. to be based in the UK and then travel to Europe and experience all these things. I was telling someone about Cologne the other day, because, yeah, how, how much are they? 20? Yeah, 20 centiliters, 200 mils. So just over a third of a pint. It's just a very delicate beer style that they serve there, the Kolsch, uh, or Kolsch, if I attempt to pronounce it more correctly. <laughs> and so they want you to serve it and kind of keep it fresh constantly. So they keep topping you up with a new pour. It's just like you can imagine British stag parties going to Cologne. <laughs> like, You're like, this is all I get? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, normally what we get to drink uh, in terms of Pilsner or Cal is a filtered and pasteurized version. And of course, breweries will take those steps to allow the shelf life to lengthen slightly. So it allows the beer to travel a bit further from the brewery. Really, the differences are that the filtering process and the pasteurization process can dull or strip away a little bit of the flavor. So kind of having it there at the brewery in that unfiltered and pasteurized version, it's got a little bit more body, uh, a little bit more creaminess, so a nice sort of softer texture. Uh, also different carbonation too, when it's uh, carbonated in the wooden cask as opposed to in a bottle, so the carbonation's a little lower. Again, think cask beer compared to kegged beer. Uh, and kind of the flavors are just turned up ever so slightly. So you still get all the same characteristics. It's really bready, uh, a little bit of caramel, a little bit of a buttery characteristic, which is common in this style, a nice spicy hop characteristic, a bit of a bitterness there to really um, make sure it doesn't get overly sweet. But then it's really soft and rounded in the finish from that creaminess. So it's a wonderful experience. Well, what a superb choice that is. And also useful for people to have it in your pub and not have to go abroad to, to experience it. Let's go to the pub, pub, pub. So your next choice, Natalia, is two bottles or cans that could be anything. Uh, what are you going to have? My first one is a beer as well. Uh, I have picked Pliny the Elder from Russian River Brewery. It is a classic double IPA, uh, and it is sort of seen as the best example of the double IPA, the style to reference, the beer to reference for that style. And the reason I have picked this beer is it harkens back to when I was first getting into beer. Uh, and that was when I was living in Berkeley in California. I was there for grad school and public health, of all things. And uh, some girlfriends introduced me to beer, and we always had Pliny the Elder available on draft at a local pizza place. I didn't really drink much then. I didn't know how good I had it. It was only when I moved to New York later that I realized, oh, dang, I really should have been drinking that stuff. This is seen as one of the best examples of this particular style, the double IPA. Um, I love what the bottle looks like. That's why I've opted for the bottle over the draft version. But it really brings me back to when I was first getting into beer and these flavors of classic West Coast, so California brewed beers, uh, which they just they just make these beers so well because many of the hops that give this very piney, citrusy, resinous hit, um, they come from the West Coast of the States. So from Northern California, from Oregon and from Washington. I'm just looking at the bottle now in my mind. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> is it is it Pliny or Pliny? Because it's, it's in the states, it is pronounced Pliny uh, in referencing the beer. But I have other heard people here say Pliny, but I'm I'm terrible with pronunciation. You heard me struggle <laughs> with the Kolsch or Kolsch there. So say it however <laughs> makes you feel best. As long as you're enjoying the beer, that's what matters. So 
Well, I mean, you know, this is a very root one, but as a Californian beer like Sierra Nevada, is like how, how I mean, I like Sierra Nevada, but is, is that kind of very basic version of what kind of this beer does? Yeah, so that's a pale ale. And so we're taking that, but we're kind of stripping away some of the malt flavor. So Sierra Nevada sometimes has a little bit of more of a toast and a caramel note. When it comes to the IPA and the double IPA, it's all about the hops. That's all we want to think about, talk about taste. So they kind of strip away some of the toast and the caramel. So it's really just this bready, malty base layer. Uh, and it's just a, a, basically a little trampoline for the hops to jump off. So you can pick up all of that hop aroma uh, and that really uh, kind of big bitter punch as well that's characteristic for the style. And what and what's making it a double IPA then? Is that, so uh, this one has more hops and more alcohol compared to a okay, standard IPA. Great. It's a simple answer to a simple question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just a little bit more of everything. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's also 8%. It is indeed. Yep. And it says when I've looked it up in my mind, it's served in draft. I'm not sure. Would you get away with doing that in in the UK, selling pints of 8%? I mean, I know there are places that do that, but that's pretty, that's, that's motion lotion. It's definitely one of my gripes, I would say, about drinking in the US versus drinking in the UK. One thing to point out is the pub, uh, sorry, the size of the pint is smaller in the US. It's 16 ounces versus 20. But still, most places, if it if it goes up until about 7 8%, they will still serve it in full 16-ounce pour. And for me, that's just way too much. Again, coming from a public health background and wanting to promote responsible drinking, I think that's something that should be served in a smaller pour. So here in the UK, we're lucky. Legally, you have to offer different measures, you know, a third, a half, two-thirds, a pint. In the US, they don't have to do that. They can choose whatever they want. And so a lot of the times, they will just do a full pour, even if it's something that's quite strong. So I think that's something a little frustrating when you go back to the States from here and want to try different beers uh it's slightly limited in what they offer well a pint of uh plenty of the elder would be four and a half units which is quite a hefty that's like <laughs> that's quite a hefty wallop for one single beer right yeah 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 and if you're having like six i mean you'd be in space <laughs> <laughs> so just have one and enjoy it once you learn how to taste and you can pick up all the different characteristics you just get to sip and savor it uh, so what's your second bottle can so we are leaving the world of beer now. Shocking. Oh, I mean, oh, there are so many amazing beers I could choose. But one of my favorite things that I have learned from my training, I guess, uh, and sort of building up my palate, is that I like using what I've learned in the beer world and applying it to lots of different things. You know, I don't only drink beer or subsist on beer. So thinking about understanding flavors and finding different flavors has led me to learn more about coffee and learn more about kombucha and learn more about wine. And the thing that has really piqued my interest is sparkling wine and in particular champagne. There is something about it. I am absolutely fascinated. I am starting to learn a little bit more and want to learn uh, lots more than what I know now. But for my birthday in 2019, I went to the Champagne region and visited Billicart Salmon and we took a tour and it was incredible. And if I remember correctly, which I think I do, I was talking to our tour guide there and he said in their fermentation process, their primary fermentation, they use a, a longer, cooler fermentation and they use a lager yeast. So I was like, no wonder I like what these people are doing so much uh, because it functions at cooler temperatures and it really gives a much cleaner fermentation so that they can get more of the character, either perhaps from oak aging or from the secondary fermentation, that sort of thing. So I was like, oh, I'm meant to be drinking this champagne. So Billicart Salmon Rosé is what I'm going to go for as it's a good all-rounder sort of celebratory champagne for that occasion when you come to the pub and you just want to 
cheers to someone about something exciting that's happened or you want to sit in the pub garden and enjoy a lovely glass of something sparkling over the summer. That's the vision. So how do you spell that? B-I-L-L-E-C-A-R-T dash salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N. Yeah. And it's their rosé. Oh, lovely. And is that going to set us back a fair whack? It's definitely not the most expensive of champagnes, but also, so I'm going to say mid-range, but also not, not the cheapest. Do you know what? It, it is absolutely bang on the mid-range. Uh, it's about 50 quid, which is, I think, uh, suitable for a special occasion. Oh, it does look lovely. Right, exactly. Not, not my everyday drink, but it's something that if I want that celebratory moment, oh, it's such a good go-to. It's got loads of red fruits, so a really nice strawberry characteristics. But like many champagnes do, it kind of has this like brioche or buttery note. So for me, it's like strawberry shortcake in a glass. And again, all that lovely uh, carbonation that brings the aromas up to your nose as you enjoy it. Hence why I love beer so much. We've got the same thing. The aroma is continually coming out of the glass. It's delicious. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. Wow. Are you in the pub garden in your mind with me, drinking yeah. your glass of Billicart Salmon Rosé? Well, I was just thinking, like, a couple of the things, the sort of tasting notes you've said for your beers have been this kind of bready quality. And I, I sometimes get that from champagne, that kind of slight breadiness, or sometimes like a nuttiness. So yeah, I wondered definitely. if that, that was a crossover there, kind of. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it is that is sort of what attracts me to both of them. But yeah, definitely is as the champagne ages and as the yeast start to die off slightly, they introduce more of these sort of savoury, nutty characteristics. And I think that's why in a vintage champagne, you get even more of that uh, umami, savoury characteristic. But maybe it is that early crossover that I'm enjoying, bringing me from the bready notes of beer into some champagnes. Well, from the bready notes of beer to the old <laughs> to the old loaf on top of our shoulders, uh, we now head over to Robin Allender for this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. <laughs> Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thank you, John. Yes, it's time for the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Every week, I ask a few questions. It's four this week, unusually, and I give you the answers in part two. No Googling, because you're only Googling yourself. And this week's pub quiz is about homophones. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Homophones are words that are pronounced the same, but have different meanings. For each question, I'll give you two definitions of words, and you have to tell me the single homophone answer. For example, the number after seven and the past tense of eat. The answer would be eight. Good example. Good example. To make it more fun, I've made each question a, p- a poem. <laughs> okay. Poems always make everything more fun. Yeah, they do, don't they? Question one. A rank of officer in the army you may be, but crack open a seed or nut, and you shall also see me. Oh, very good. Okay. Question two. An American coin you may be, but... <laughs> Do they all follow this? <laughs> they might Brilliant. do. An American coin you may be, but spray yourself with perfume and you shall also smell me. Oh, good. Question three. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh. <clears throat> a part of a foot you may be, but, <laughs> but if I was a doctor, I would do this to thee. 
Okay, and question four is a great one because it's three. There are actually three words in here, all with the same pronunciation. The top of a mountain you may be, but if I stole a look at thee, would you arouse my curiosity? And so that's question four of the homophones. Very good. Thank you. Very good. I had a lot of fun today with that. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. <laughs> how, how do you feel about pub quizzes? Because I'm interested in pub quizzes in the States. Is it as much of a thing as it isn't? It's not a thing as, no, as much no, over here. No, no, they're not a thing right. there. But game shows are a thing. I actually tried out for Jeopardy as a kid. I don't know if you oh, guys really? know that American game show. Yeah. 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 So I'm quite a big fan of pub quizzes and that sort of, you know, it, it's just, it's up to the luck of the draw, what the questions are and how well you're going to do. But yeah, I, uh, I've been to a few pub quizzes since I've lived here and they're always really fun. Yeah. They're always good fun. Well, a part of a mountain we may be, uh, <laughs> because Robin has increased our interest in thee. Uh, so do join us for uh, part two of Natalia Watson's dream pub so far we leave it with harvey's sussex best and a very special pilsner urquell or urquell which way do i say it urquell i think urquell whatever you prefer yeah <laughs> uh, a very special pilsner urquell which is unfiltered unpasteurized and is brewed in wooden casks below the brewery itself at the absolute mother load of pilsner um, in bottles, we have Pliny the Elder, a double IPA from Russia River Brewing, and Billicart Salmon Rosé Champagne. Mm. Uh, so we will see you back here in part two very soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.